Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to the Grove. If we've not met, my name's Christian. I'm the lead pastor here. Things are a little different today. Uh, we don't always have this big tub sitting here um, that could be used for a lot of purposes, but today it's for one very exciting purpose, and that is we're going to be baptizing six people who are professing their allegiance to Jesus, the new life that he's given them. It is exciting. That's going to happen a little later in the service, so we've mixed it up just a little bit. If you've been coming around, uh, you know we've already done things pretty different than we always do. We're going to continue and actually wrap up uh, that series. You just saw the, the rolling four, solid ground. We've been looking at family. And so previously, um, I've said you know, kind of the big idea of this series is that we are called to build our house according to God's design. Okay? And by house, we mean our families. And families look different. That's, that's true. Um, and, and yet, what God calls us to do is to build according to his design. Okay, and so that's what we've been talking about. We, we looked week one just about the importance of, of marriage, why it matters, why God has something to say about it, and why his way is the way that he intends. Um, we also looked then the week after at the materials of building our homes and the importance of, of who we are as men and women. That we're not interchangeable parts, but that God has created us specifically uh, in a certain way to honor him. And then last week, you got to hear from my good friend, John Strapazon. Uh, he was here, talked about what it means, kind of the skills that go into building our home and specifically being a, a safe person. That was an acronym um, that he built out for us. And so we looked at that last week, some of the skills that go into cultivating relationships. And today what we're going to do is continue in the, the practical, okay? Really looking at some of the, the things that go into building this way, okay? And, and really look at what happens when things don't go the way we would intend. But first what I want us to do is, is kind of back up a little bit. I looked at a passage three weeks ago that when you look at it, you kind of go, well, why do Christians care so much about marriage if Jesus says this? Or why, why do we focus so much on family if Jesus says things like this? Okay, so I want to go back there because he actually gives us some really important ideas that need to frame what we do. Okay, so Matthew chapter 10, if you've got a Bible in front of you, you can go ahead and turn there. You'll see that on the screen it's page 878 in that Bible, but Matthew chapter 10 and I'm going to read the, the whole passage. We're not going to spend a ton of time here today, but I want to read the whole passage and then just mention three things that are really important for us understanding how God sees the Christian life in general and why these things really shape our understanding of family. Okay, so Matthew chapter 10, and start, I'm going to start in verse 28, but Jesus has been teaching He's been lots to say and, and helping people understand who he is and what he's all about. And then verse 28, he says this. He says, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, now the idea of fear here is not trembling. It's not, it's not the idea of terror, but it's the idea of respect that says who's going to dictate how I operate. Okay. So here he's saying, hey, don't let people who can't really do, deal with you for eternity be the ones that you're listening to and guiding your life after. Instead, listen to God is who he's talking about. 
Okay, so he goes on. He says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Okay, just hold on to that. Notice how he starts and what he's saying here. He says, hey, don't fear these guys. Instead, fear God. But then notice where he goes in talking about the importance of fearing God. He goes on. He says, therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn, and here he quotes Old Testament prophecy, okay, he's quoting Micah chapter 7. He says, I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household, okay? In many families, that whole idea of a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, that one's not hard to believe, right? We have those kinds of problems. But this is pretty provocative because our expectation is, I mean, if you're around during Christmas time, right? Well, Jesus, he comes to bring peace, surely. If he brings anything, it's peace. And here he says, though, hold on a second. I didn't understand that if you're going to follow me, there's going to be this, this kind of conflict that will show up. And we'll look more at that in a second, okay? And then he finally, he wraps up what we're going to look at here. He says, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Okay, now I want you to see three markers of those who are a part of God's family. Okay, Jesus, I think, lays out three things that, that mark those who are a part of the family of God. And he's saying these things before he's done everything that we normally celebrate, right? He's just teaching. He's just helping people understand who he is. But he's saying things that are going to lay groundwork for everything that's going to come later when he gives his life, lays down his life, is falsely, a charge, falsely charged with blasphemy, but he gives his life and then defeats death and is resurrected from the dead, okay? So prior to all of that taking place, he's laying this groundwork and he gives us these three markers of members of God's family. The first one is we are, if we are Christ followers, if we've trusted Christ for new life, we are marked by a redefined love. Okay? Love is different than what we would expect. It's di definitely different than what shows up so commonly in our culture, but it's a different kind of love. Notice he, he, he's talking about it there at the very beginning, right? Fear God. Let him be the one who dictates how you live your life. But then he goes on, he says, because God cares for you. Right? He knows you. He, he knows the hairs of your head. You're far, you're valuable. Why? Because you've done a whole bunch of stuff? No, because God created you. And this is this mega theme over all of the Bible. If you read this and don't see, if you, even if you go to those places where you go, whoa, that's kind of terrifying, or oh, whoa, that's, that's really heavy or hard. If you don't see it in light of God's big picture, what he's doing, and how that relates to his love for humanity, creating them in the first place, not because he needed anything from us, but because he wanted us to know him and enjoy him. If you don't get that, then we miss the whole thing. Scholar Scott McKnight, 
He says this, he says, the Bible's story grounds all love in God's covenant love. And then he goes on, he makes this statement to understand what kind of love are we talking about. He says, God covenants to be with us. Okay, in other words, he makes this binding agreement to be with us and to be for us unto full redemption. Okay, so three things there, be with us, be for us, unto full redemption. He goes on, he says, that is until we are in the kingdom are Christ-like, and become the holy and loving people of God. If you're around and you go, you know what, this stuff sounds interesting, but the way my interactions with Christians is that they're not all that they say they should be, you're right. Okay? Now, a lot of that criticism is well-deserved. There's a lot of it that's misplaced and misunderstood. There's a lot of things that get, get left behind, that get, get thrown away and not regarded. Lots of really good things that happen in this world because Jesus has come and his people have tried to obey him. But understand, we're not yet there. And that's the acknowledgement that we make, that, that we've still got a ways to go. But we know that Jesus is the one to take us there. And so he sums it up. He says, the three principles of love are thus presence, which is with, advocacy, for, and formation, unto, right? We, to love somebody is to, to be with them and to advocate to be for them, but not just for them in whatever they might want to do, but actually that they would become something that is good and eternally great. What God says is good. And so that's the kind of love that we're talking about. So Jesus is pointing us to this redefined love. Then he points us to a reordered loyalty. He says, if, if you are a member of the family of God, then your loyalty is different. It's been redone, right? He says, and this is why he gets into this idea of if you're going to deny me, then understand that you're finding life somewhere altogether different. And he's going on about this whole thing about, you know, peace and sword and man against father and, and this conflict that comes because what he's saying is not the family doesn't matter. We know that's not the case. If we just look at Jesus' own life on the cross, he's taking care of his own mother, making sure that she will be provided for and cared for. So he's not dispatching with the importance of family, but what he's saying is family can't matter more than me. There's, there's one ultimate loyalty, and it must be the one who has made us and promises to remake us through the redemption that Jesus brings. So he's pointing to this reordered loyalty. Guys, that's what we're celebrating today. Baptism is a picture of a reordered loyalty. It's a picture of somebody saying, look, of all the, the ways in which I could lay down my life, all the ways that I could give my life, and all the things I could live for, Jesus is the king. He's the one that I understand is, has the captain of my soul. And so those will come later declaring their, their confession that Jesus is their Lord and the Bible is their guide. What they're saying is, again, Jesus is king. He is my utmost loyalty. There's all kinds of things that aren't bad. God created them. But when we make those things ultimate, when we give those things the, the top place of loyalty in our lives, we, mess it, we, we miss it. And we mess up what God intends. And so Jesus is pointing to a reordered loyalty. And then the third thing, he's pointing to redirected living. A whole different kind of living right there at the end, right? 
He says, whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. If you are a part of the family of God, if you're seeking to live with King Jesus and trust him fully and walk in his ways, you will take shots. Okay, that's just the thing. You're going to find yourself on the wrong side of popular opinion at times. You're going to find yourself in difficult places. It will feel like, if you're a Christ follower, it will feel like loss. Okay, so if you get around some people who are like, just, just trust Jesus and everything will be good, right? My, my favorite way of thinking about this is, you know, it's, it's like you just get a country, you play a country song backwards, right? And, and then you get your, your truck back and your dog back and your wife back and everything gets made better because you just came to Jesus. And, and sometimes if we're not careful, we present it that way. And, and there are really good things, But sometimes when you walk with Jesus, it will not just appear that way. It will feel deeply like I've lost. I don't have what I want to have here. This hurts. I've given myself away and I don't know where it's gone. That's the reality of knowing Jesus. Don't don't let somebody give you some kind of pie in the sky, Pollyanna sort of version of this where there's not difficulty or hardship. Jesus says you lose your life. And sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to lose it, and then it'll just pop right back. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes it's just lost, and you, you wander around going, where did I put that? Right? And, and as you get older, like me, then you spend a lot more time going, where did I put that? Okay? <laughs> sometimes it will feel like loss, but Jesus really does intend for and promise that when we lose our life, we will find it. Real life is found. Goodness is found in following King Jesus. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God. We we experience a whole different kind of love. Our loyalty is completely transformed. And our lives are redirected. Our living is redirected. And this is what Jesus wants to do in and through us. And this is where our families come in. Now, In thinking about this, though, and thinking specifically about that that feeling of loss as we try to to engage with one another, I was was thinking about this idea of of really magnificent buildings that get built, these really amazing places that get built, and then you, you come across them and you go, huh, I bet that was really awesome once, and now it's it's just a wreck. And so I was thinking about that, and I was doing a little research, and one of my favorite websites is called Atlas Obscura. Uh, If you've never checked that out, you'd probably enjoy it. You can check that out, all kinds of weird, interesting things. Some you might not be as interested in, but but it's it's pretty interesting, and and specifically kind of geography and just different things around the world, some some oddities that you can find, things that you might not know about. And I heard, I had never heard of this, but there's a a place called Haha Tonka, okay, like like Haha. Right. Haha Tonka. Um, and so some that think that means laughing waters um, in, in a native language. Okay, but here's the picture. Haha Tonka is actually in Missouri. It, it's, in, it, it's right near Lake of the Ozarks. Okay, so here's the story. I want to just read you the, the story of, like, very briefly of, of where this came about. So there's a wealthy Kansas City businessman who was named Robert Snyder, and he had this dream to construct a European-style castle right in Missouri. Okay. 
And so he purchases, way back, beginning of the 1900s, he purchases 5,000 acres of land, including his very own part of Lake of the Ozarks, and he begins work on the mansion, 1905. And so construction begins, and, and it's going strong, but in 1906, Snyder is killed in one of Missouri's first car accidents. I mean, that's just wild to even think about. But one of the very first car accidents in Missouri, this man is killed in 1906. So after his death, his sons, they continue work on the building, and they're able to complete the castle in 1920. So 15 years later, they finish building the castle. And after completing construction, one of the sons took up residence. Okay, he began to live there until the family's money ran out due to land rights lawsuits surrounding the property. Okay, so it becomes all this turmoil regarding the property and the land. Money runs out, and then and Snyder, the, the younger's depression and poverty, okay, now he gets depressed, and, and he's now dealing with the fallout of all of this. All of that drives him from the house. Then the building is opened as a hotel and a lodge until 1942, when the entire building was utterly destroyed by fire. Okay, so that's then the, the, what you see is the kind of the, the ruins, the leftovers from there. The, the state has tried to preserve it, and so some of you, you nodded, so maybe you've even visited Hahatanka, okay? Um, but, but it's fascinating to look at. I mean, here's this, this thing that was meant to be this glorious residence, and now it lies in ruins. And I think there is just an image there for us, something to, to take note of there. In that, as we think about our own relationships. And so, just very practically, I want us to think about what happens when we have grand designs for what our, our life, our relationships, our families should look like, and things begin to go wrong. Okay, so two big things I want us to see, and then six, six just practical steps that we take in dealing with this. Okay, in our relationships, first thing to recognize is that breakdowns you see reveal a breakdown you don't. Okay. We, we can see. Breakdowns. You could see. You could go to Hahatanka and you go, okay, well, something happened to make that go in bad shape. But there was other things that you couldn't see going on that ultimately led to that. And the same is true in our relationships. Breakdowns you see reveal a breakdown you don't. Now, it doesn't mean you couldn't go and go go back and look and see. Oh, okay, yeah, I see how this happened. Somebody was being selfish, or somebody had their own. You know, something happened there. But. But the big thing is we don't always see what's going on on the outside. There's just stuff going on inside. And so ultimately when something breaks down, there's something going on that, that is not so much what we would all see, but, but is happening inside. Really helpful proverb that you think, oh, is this really talking about this? But I think it is. Proverbs 24 tells this little mini story. And the writer of Proverbs says, I went by the field of a slacker and by the vineyard of one lacking sense. Thistles had come up everywhere. Weeds covered the ground and the stone wall was ruined. I saw and took it to heart. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest and your poverty will come like a robber and your need like a bandit. Now here, this set of Proverbs is dealing with the idea of sloth or, or diligence and it's not saying don't take a nap, right? That, that's not the point, okay? Or don't go to sleep, just work, work, work. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying, I, I came across, I was walking along and I found these ruins. I, I saw how things had all grown, grown up and I could see the breakdown of this place. And then I, I did some reflecting and I began to, to recognize, oh, there was this thing going on that I couldn't see, but I now recognize. And that's what caused this breakdown. Just somebody stopped 
caring. Somebody stopped working on this thing. They, they stopped the upkeep. They thought, I've got this glorious thing going. I can just enjoy it. And they didn't take care of it. And so things begin to break down. And this is true in our lives. We can get to a spot and think, I've arrived. And we sort of coast. And then we begin to see things break down. And it happens in our relationships. We think, man, we're good. Like, we, we made a commitment. Or we, we've had really good times at some point. And that should just be enough to fuel us. We, we should be good. We'll just kind of coast all the way home. But little by little, things start to break down. Because this is just the way. I mean, this is, I mean, I have an engineering degree. This is something called entropy. Things go from order to disorder. That's, that's just what happens if we don't do something about it. Which leads to the second thing I want us to see. Maintenance is mandatory. If you're going to build something that, that lasts, there's going to be maintenance. In your home, you, you require maintenance to take care of it. Now, sometimes we get caught up trying to, to you know, keep up with the Joneses, and you know, you're like, I've got to have neon green grass, and, and you know, it's just everything that you're, you're trying to do, it's unnecessary maintenance. But, but nonetheless, if we're going to really build something that's, that's quality and that is really what God wants, maintenance is mandatory. He tells us this Ephesians 4. This is just one spot we can go to, but we've been looking at Ephesians. I want to go back there. Ephesians 4.31, we're told, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. What we're told here is for our relationships to flourish, we've got to understand that sometimes they will begin to break down. And if we don't deal with that, if, we, if we're unrealistic, we think, oh, we should, everything should just be great and it should be easy, and, and when it's not, we're blown out of the water by that, it'll just get worse and worse and worse. See, Bible, I mean, again, sometimes we come to the Bible, we think, man, that sounds nice, great, but I live in the real world, and it doesn't deal, that doesn't deal with where I am. And, and God goes, you know, I created that real world. And, and the problems that you face in that world, you created, you humanity created. But know that what I've done is tried to help you understand how to live in this real world. And I've called you and given you the, a way to be a part of a whole other world that will last for eternity. God's, God's not uninterested in practical things. And he acknowledges, he knows. The reality of our relationships is sometimes we, we get cross with each other. We don't treat each other the way we should treat each other. Things break down. And so God has, wants us to maintain those things. So six things I want you to think about. When, when things go wrong, okay? When, when the things that we looked at the last three weeks, when, when they're not happening, Six things. One, tend your own yard. Okay? You're going to do maintenance. Understand, you've got a stewardship. You've got a responsibility. Your house is not somebody else's house. And very often, these breakdowns happen because we fail to recognize what's my responsibility and what's somebody else's responsibility. Again, another proverb that's, that's talking about a number of things, but I think gives the guidance to us here. Proverbs 23 
says, don't move an ancient boundary marker and don't encroach on the fields of the fatherless for their redeemer is strong and he will champion their cause against you. Now the point here is how we treat those who are, are less fortunate. That's specifically what it's dealing with. But the idea is there, there were boundaries, there was property, and, there was, and God, as he had created uh, the nation of Israel, had given specific instructions for how they were to treat those who had been, found themselves among the nation and, and might, might be in lesser situation, not, not have as much. And so he'd done all this provision for it. And, and so the whole point here is just, look, don't go just trying to land grab and take from people just because it looks like you can. You, you find that marker and you go, oh, you know, I'll just kind of push it out here and, and grab more for myself. Principally, okay, big picture principally, the idea here is you have something, take care of it. But don't take from somebody else. And very often our relationships break down because, again, we're really concerned about what somebody else is doing. Right? There's two kind of, they say there's this, this statement, right, good fences make good neighbors. Right? And, and, and you think about, and for some of you, these are older references. I get it. I couldn't think of anybody else. Okay? But, but there's a difference between, between being Wilson right, from Home Improvement and being Mrs. Kravitz, right? Like the, those are two different kinds of neighbors, okay? Wilson from Home Improvement, right? He's the, he's the guy who he stays in his own spot. He stays in his yard, but he's out there tinkering and working, and, and occasionally he hears his neighbor has some, some problems, and so he just sort of peeks over the fence, and, and he's there to offer some counsel, okay? But, but he stays in his own lane. He, he does his own thing. He's just responding, so you never even see him because he, he's just doing his thing, but he's there to be helpful when he can Mrs. Kravitz from Bewitched, okay, again, going way back, right? She's there smiling, but normally she's, she's peering out the window. She's peering over the fence. She's in everybody's business, right? And, and all kinds of things, all these, like, messed up things happen because she gets the wrong impression, and now, now all of a sudden there's, there's, you know, turmoil and there's, there's conflict, and, you know, and then we've got to have 30 minutes or 22 minutes or whatever to, to uncoil all of that. Very often, we're, we're more like Mrs. Kravitz in the way we deal with things. Like we're just in everybody else's business, and we, we get really worked up because everybody else has got their problems. So you've got to tend your own yard, okay? That's the first thing. Second thing, default to dealing in facts. Deal in facts. Proverbs 18, 13 says, The one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and disgrace for him. All too often, we get really worked out not just because maybe we're involved in something that's not our responsibility, but because it is our responsibility, but we don't really know what's going on. We've, we've kind of gotten an impression, and instead of really finding out, we just take that impression and we build an entire story around that impression. And we're really good at making meaning, right? Oh, you did this. You, yeah, you, you, uh, you, know, you didn't wave to me as we were driving by. It must mean that because I didn't do XX, you know, all these things, that means that you really hate me and you secretly hated me for years. And so now our relationship is completely broken. And I mean, we do this kind of stuff. Maybe not to that extreme, but this is the kind of thing that happens. One little slight, and instead of finding out what's going on, Instead of maybe believing the best, we go to the worst possible thing. We build a story, and then we repeat that story over and over and over until it's just as real as anything else in our lives. Scripture says, look, listen. Listen first. 
Get the facts. Find out what's really going on. Which leads to two other things here. I mean, we're going to get to all four of them. But, but the other part of this then, number three, is assess the value of the offense. Okay, that's assess the value of the offense, not the offense, right? If it's, if it's an Andy Reid offense, we know it's really valuable, okay? But no, we're talking about the value of the offense. Right? Think about when you've been hurt, how valuable is this? Is this a really important thing? Some of you were here for our marriage night uh, last week, last Saturday. And, and John Strabazon, he talked about, you know, there are some, there are some things that are, you know, if, if you give a, a dollar value, to the kinds of things that go on, you know, some of those hardships or the, the, the difficulties that you face, or when somebody's done something to you, that, that's more what I mean. You know, th- there's some things that are a, a dollar, a full dollar type, man, that was really hurtful. And then there's other things that are, you know, like they're a five cent value. But if we're not careful, what happens is we take those little five cent things and we make them, we treat them like they're a dollar. Like they're really valuable and, and they become really hurtful. But Scripture says, a person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. There's times where you just have to look and go, look, I don't like what happened there, but it's a small thing, and I can just overlook it. I can just absorb it. Now, if that's happening again and again and again, you probably get to a spot where you're like, dude, I'm taking shots, and, and this, it hurts. You know and so you might have to, to deal with that. But sometimes, you know, we can just, we can just take it and just go, you know, okay, that, that didn't feel good. But maybe you just, you weren't having a good day. Again, I'll believe the best. I'll absorb it. You don't have to. We don't have to have a big blow up about this. We'll just assess it. Other things, though, you may go, look, this thing is driving me crazy. I was really hurt by that. You thought it was no big deal. And then you find yourself thinking about it all the time. You go, I'm really hurt by this. Okay, that gets us to number four. If you wonder, check. And I'm going to come back, folks in the back, I'm going to come back to that, that quote. But if you wonder, check. Okay. If you're wondering, is something wrong? Check. Too often, we think that maybe there's something going on. <clears throat> maybe somebody's done something. Again, this gets back to, to do I know, do I have the facts? If you wonder, just check on it. Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You guys know check engine light? Get that in your car, right? That's the, that's the, when, the, when the check engine light comes on. That means, oh, I probably can drive for the next two years, and then we probably need to take this thing in, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's the light, right, for get this checked out in a couple years. No, but, but sometimes stuff pops up. It's that light. It's that warning that goes, all right, I just need to see. Sometimes those things, well, why do we do that? Because sometimes those things go off and you take it in. They're like, yeah, it just flipped. And that's all it takes. All it takes is that really wasn't anything for us to go, oh, okay, I'll just, I just won't deal with it. Because that's, that's the better possibility. We don't want it to be that something's really wrong. And in that case, it becomes ignorance is bliss, right? It's just, I just rather not know. Hopefully, I don't think, like, I'll just be driving along and all of a sudden find myself sitting in the, the highway because the car is still going and I've, it's falling through. You know, we, we just don't, we think the worst isn't going to happen, so I'll just keep at it. When you get that little check, you get, get that, you're wondering, hey, maybe there's something there. Just go get it checked out. Find out what's going on. 
I want to go back just quickly here. One of my favorite, most important quotes is I'm thinking about how I perceive things that have gone wrong. Really, really important statement here. Dr. Alfred Poyer. He says this, by agreeing with God's criticism of me in Christ's cross, I can face any criticism man may lay against me. In other words, no one can criticize me more than the cross has. And the most devastating criticism turns out to be the finest mercy. Don't miss that. No one can criticize me more than the cross has. The way I, when I came across that, again, it just blew my mind. And and the way I've, I've taken to understanding that in my own life is, when criticism comes, and I've got to, I've got to really rehearse this because I'm not naturally thin-skinned, okay? I mean, naturally thick-skinned. <laughs> I'm naturally, I feel. And so I have, to, I have to really work hard to go back and realize, you know what? You could say all kinds of things, but what could you, what worse thing could you say about me than Jesus died for you? What, what could you say about somebody that's any worse than, you know what? Somebody had to die because of you, Criticize me more than that. On the other hand, right, so that's the worst thing you can say about Christian Williams. Jesus had to die for you. But you know what the best thing you can say about Christian Williams is? Jesus died for you. There's no greater statement about my my value, and there's no greater statement about your value. If you will receive that, It completely transforms all this other stuff. If you'll live that, if you'll live in that reality, it changes how we deal with all this conflict. Now, there's there's this process of reckoning that, bringing that into the situations when you're just hurt, when it's just hard. But this is the truth. If you're in Christ, this is the truth. And this is what he offers all of us is for, for this great reality to be ours. Last two things when it goes wrong. If you're wrong, make it right. If you're wrong, make it right. And this, this takes time and it takes work. Proverbs 24, 16, though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. See, a righteous person isn't the person who never stumbles. The righteous person in Christ is the one who understands that no matter how many times you stumble, ultimately you will be be getting back up. Jesus has changed the game there. And so we're told in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We we can actually repent with one another. We can actually deal with these things. If you're wrong, go to somebody and say, hey, you know what? When, when I said that thing, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And then ask them and have them forgive you. That's what it is to, to make it. And maybe, maybe, hey, you know what? I went and I joyrided, you know, did a joyride in your car. And, you know, and now it's sitting at the bottom of Lake of the Ozarks. I mean, you, you got you to gotta deal with that. I don't know. But, but if you've done wrong, you, you make it right. You go to that person. You understand real forgiveness exists. But don't do this. Don't treat relationships like there's got to be a winner and a loser. Right? Willy Wonka, oh, this is funny to me. Oh my, it looks like we have a winner, right? Like sometimes this is what happens in relationships is we think somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose. 
But if that's how you handle it, especially in marriage, somebody wins, somebody loses, you both lose. That, that's just, that's the way that goes. So if you're bent on being the winner, get ready to lose a whole lot. You may win that little, that little battle, but you're going to lose. And, and a lot of times the problem here is that, again, you're, you're involved in somebody else's stuff. It's a yard problem, right? You're in, you're in somebody else's stuff rather than just dealing with your own. Last thing, if you've been wronged, forgive like Jesus. Forgive like Jesus. Matthew 18, one of the disciples, Peter, comes to Jesus. He says, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Peter thinks he's being generous here. Like, I mean, seven times. Like, I'm figuring this thing, this, this thing out, right? Like, I'm doing good here, right? Seven. And Jesus says, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. And that's just a Jewish way of saying as many as it takes. He's not actually asking him to like put little notches for once he gets to 490 and then he can, he can do something else, right? It's as many as it takes. If you've been wronged and somebody comes to you now, that's different than you've been wronged and the other person could, could care less, right? Couldn't care less. That's a, that's a different matter, and that's something you've got to figure out. You've got to figure out, how do I trust the Lord with that? But also acknowledge, when somebody's not seeking forgiveness, forgiveness is not actually, it can't actually be experienced. That's an important distinction, and if, if, it's one that I'm not sure I, get, I can't get to today. But, but if you've been wronged, and somebody will come to you and wants to be forgiven, you forgive like Jesus. You forgive like Jesus forgives or forgave you. If you're here and you say, I don't know what that forgiveness is like, I'm telling you, man, it's, it's the best thing there could ever be. And Jesus is just, I mean, he's just dishing it out. I mean, just, he'll slop it on your plate as high and pile it as high as you want. That's who he is. We'll wrap up there, okay? I, I want you to, to see those things, but, but let's let's finish here. We started looking at this idea of Matthew 7. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's what we've been about these last few weeks. That's what we're always about. How do we build our houses? How do we build our lives on the rock that is Jesus? How do we learn to walk in his ways knowing that his ways are the ones that will endure? If that's new to you, man, check it out. At least, at least just figure it out. Just look into it. It's worth at least looking into. If you're here and you say, look, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. We don't get a pass. We don't get to just kind of do our own thing and Jesus go, yeah, that's no big deal. You know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really serious about any of this stuff. You know, just, just needed something to fill the book, you know, just, <laughs> just working on that. Jesus, if he's the king, then he, he gets it all. He promises, if you lose it, that's when you'll really find it. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness and your care, your provision in our lives. Would you help us to build our houses, build our families, build this family as a church on the rock that is your word. Help us to be really good at maintaining relationships, dealing with the breakdowns. We need your help. 
We need to be reminded of your goodness and grace. So I ask for your guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.